Welcome, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Today we have a special treat for you, and we're going to do a conversation. We're going to have a conversation with Amanda Page Cornett, and if you don't know her, you will by the end of the interview. I had a chance, actually we had a lot of laughs before we hit record on this because there were a comedy of errors just getting connected and sound and all of that, which you never really know when you listen to a podcast, but it is not like it is right when you hit record. There are many conversations and things that happen on the front end to make it interesting. So what I can tell you about Amanda is that she's funny and adaptable, and she just has a new album released. So this episode today is going to be about the artist's heart and how Amanda came to where she is and what's going on in her life. And then she's going to share some of her successes and lessons learned along the way as well. Amanda, with that as just a little bit of introduction, will you tell our listeners more about who you are, where you live, and how you came to be both a recording artist as well as an actress? I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am in Nashville, Tennessee, but originally from Spartanburg, South Carolina, a very music-based community with a lot of great acts that have come out of my hometown. And I've been writing songs since I was nine. I've been making them up probably since I could talk. And I've always been a little bit animated. In fact, my preschool teacher ran into my mom and said, I knew she'd end up on stage somewhere. The way I used to roll my eyes, I guess. (laughs) But uh, I've been writing and singing my whole life and really trying to hone my skill as a musician, as an artist. And I believe acting is a big part of that because if you can't emote the emotion of a song, how can you make somebody believe it? Wow, that's that's really true. When you think about the music that moves you, it is because of how you are connected to emotionally, either from the person playing or singing or the or the group of them. So let's jump ahead just a little bit and talk. Let's talk about your music first. How would you describe the music? I call my genre Southern Rock and Soul, which is a mixture of Southern Rock, Blues, and Country and different influences I've had throughout my whole entire life. And it kind of melded from thinking I was going to be a country artist, but also loving Southern rock. And it kind of, over the years, melded to where I really found I hit my stride as an artist. I also call it somewhere between the Judds and Joplin. Oh, nice. And a friend of mine said it was somewhere between Bonnie Raitt and Martina McBride. So whichever you choose up to the listener to decide. Well, all of those artists are people that I admire and love their music. So no matter where you fall in that spectrum, that's a great place to fall. But I'm, you know, when I listen to your music and we'll share some of it later in this interview with folks, but it really does sound uniquely you. So (laughs) yeah, so it may be in those spectrums, but it doesn't, it's not an imitation of them which is refreshing. So you, are you a solo artist or do you have a band? I am a solo artist, but I have a band that I've been playing with for over eight years. They are actually siblings. It's the drummer and bass player are twins, and their older brother is our guitar player. And they've become my family. So technically, I'm still a solo artist, but anytime I can take them with me, I do. Nice. 
So talk to us about the album that you just released. It's only been out just a little over a month. Is that right? Well, the album's been out a little longer than that, but the current single, Throw a Little Gas, has been out a little over a month. But Front Porch Rebel is the name of the full album. And it comes from a line in the song Judds and Joplin, which is the first track on the album, where it says, Front Porch Mixed with Rebel Rockin'. And we went down to Muscle Shoals. My band and I did. My co-producer was my guitar player. We did about six months pre-production and went down to Nut House in Sheffield, Alabama, which is in the Muscle Shoals area, and recorded it. We went down for a whole week and recorded the tracks live with my band and then added overdubs, and it was pretty magical. Now, is this your first album? It is my first full album. I had released a EP of about four songs previously, but this was my first real baby, if you will. Well, congratulations. Thank you. First and Very- foremost, congratulations, because <laughs> that's quite an accomplishment. It is. It is. A lot of blood, sweat, tears have gone into it, and it was the very much the accumulation of my whole lifetime of dreams coming together in a pretty magical experience. So let's go back a little bit now, because one of the things that, you know, as people get to know you and they see you polished, right? You've got this album, <laughs> they're going to see you as a performer. And it's that whole picture of, wow, Amanda has it all together. And yet, you know, you told us that you were made fun of for being different as a kid. Absolutely. What what was that about? (laughs) I had terrible skin growing up. Puberty was not nice to me. And I had terrible skin. My hair went from straight to curly, which if you don't know you have curly hair, you still brush it out like it's straight. And then it just looks frizzy. It was just so much fun. (laughs) But thankfully, my parents were extremely influential in it doesn't matter what other people think as long as you know you're a good person. And that was probably one of the pieces of advice that I heard over and over that gave me the independence and courage to take a leap of faith and pursue my dreams. So give me an example of, you know, something that had come up beyond, you know, like when you went out and had to step out because you were living in Spartanburg, right? And you had a community around you and then you moved, you're living full-time now in Nashville? I am, but I actually had a detour. I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. Uh, I feel like I'm blessed and cursed with well-roundedness. I love science. I love anatomy. So I actually majored in sports medicine because I didn't want to lose my passion for music by having too much technical stuff thrown at me. So I detoured to Florida for a little while and then moved to Nashville right after that. So how did you make those transitions? How did you like accept that? And I'm asking this because I've talked with other um, guests who've said, you know, I was on this one path and it was painful for them to say, I've got to go a different way, you know, either because people were counting on them to stay the course in one direction or they 
they told them they were being flighty. You know, it's like, well, just finish <laughs> this before you do that. So how did you navigate that? Or was that even a concern for you? Nashua was always the, the goal. I did end up taking a semester off of college because I was extremely overworked within my major and had no time for my creativity. And it really took a toll on me as a person. So I ended up taking about eight months off of school and working on my music. I came out to Nashville and visited. Something didn't feel right about the timing to move here. So to appease my parents, I ended up going back and finishing my degree and then purposely got my internship to finish college in Nashville so that I would know the area and start to know some people and then be here already. Very strategic of you. Yes. Some some of my plans work out. (laughs) Yeah. So what was your degree in? It was exercise and sports sciences with a specialty in athletic training. So prevention, treatment, injuries. So you do have both sides of your, yeah, you've got both sides of your brain working there. Yes. And I'm one of those, I've met a few of us here and we tend to be connected really quickly, but some of the musicians that have both sides of their brain pretty strongly are not as common as people who are more on the creative side. And it's always interesting to encounter people who don't have the both sides. Does that make you when, so this is a tangent because now I'm curious about how that, (laughs) I am ultimately curious, Amanda. So when I think about that, so I'm, I'm picturing you as an artist and you're writing and performing music. Then I think about that like analytical side of you that, you know, the science side of you. When it comes to doing the mixing of your music and the production of it, do you get involved in that? Like, do you start thinking, no, I think engineering wise, we need to do this. I have a, I had a great co-producer. He's one of my best friends and he's been, he's my guitar player and we've been playing together for a long time. As far as the engineering and recording goes, I left that to him. We talked about how we wanted things to sound. And if I heard something, I would say something. But between Cody Simmons, who was our recording engineer, and Randall Scott Peterson, my guitar player, they could hear everything, which was both amazing and baffling to me in the studio. But my ears did get so much more in tune with hearing little things that it definitely made me a better musician being a part of the whole studio session, if that answers yeah, the question. It does. It does. It's because sometimes I think when um, you have that balance kind of brain split like that, if you will, these are not scientific terms. They're just my way of conceptualizing. I like it. Yeah. The, the brain split. Um, <laughs> but I also think sometimes when I've been with people who are particularly able to switch between that and thinking both creatively creatively and analytically, they're very quick to be able to pick up things that the rest of us might not see and just go, oh yeah, that we could do this that way. But I've also noticed for them when they get too much in that, it is a, um, it can slow their creativity down, right? Because it just switches you over to being an observer and an analyst, analyst, analyzer I'll be cutting that part (laughs) switches you over to being an analyzer versus being in the moment and feeling what's going on so that really was what I was trying to 
see how that was from uh, gotcha. her experience. I'm I I would say I'm not an over analyzer as far as that goes. I'm more the science, the technical side of things versus the music as far as I like to I love to know how things work. I like to know how the body works. I like to know how to build things and how different things work. So I think it's not as much the analytical brain as it is the figure this out, inquisitive. Um, I also think that my other side of the brain helps me balance the business side of things a lot more than people who only have the creative side. I'm able to look and say, this is the creative part, but we have to take care of the business as well. Because if you get too far into the creative and don't take care of the business, then you end up homeless. Right. Well, and it is the music business, <laughs> not just the music. Absolutely. And I think that is really where having the split brain helps me because I am able to rationally look at the business side of things as well as the creativity. So you also are kind of interesting, and this comes up to mind when you talk about like you like knowing how things work. You mentioned that you have this huge collection of power tools. (laughs) I do. I do indeed. Talk a little bit about that because tools are fun. They are very much fun. I have been a part of a construction ministry for quite a few years since high school. And we work on people's homes to make them warm, safe, and dry, which means we go for a week and we tear off and put back on a roof. I have my own roofing nail gun, things people don't say normally. And I love building things. And the longer I've been going to Salkahatchee summer service, the more tools I have collected. It's quite funny. I have more tools than most men. And I also joke that I don't need to date any tools because I have enough tools in my shed. <laughs> so, that has I, so many interpretations, Amanda. Oh, I know. We wrote a song. We actually wrote a song called With That in Mind, which is great. So, <laughs> because it's true, but it's also funny. So. So you talk about doing the ministry. Do you do that here in the States or do you do that abroad or both? The uh, mission camp I do is in South Carolina and it's been going on for about 42 years and it's a full week and they're all over the state. There's about 40 camps and people pay, 14 year olds and older pay to go to the camp. Um, I think it's up to 250 now to work on people's homes to make them warm, safe and dry and a lot of people think, oh, are you going overseas somewhere? Cool. There's a lot of need right here, stateside, that people don't necessarily think about. They think mission trips, oh, you're going to Haiti, or you're going here or there. But there's a lot of poverty right here in America. So it's kind of nice to be able to help out people that, but for the grace of God, it could be any of us in their situation. Yes, it could be. And you're absolutely correct about the level of poverty and, and kind of folks living in the, in the gap, right? They're not necessarily in, they're destitute, but they're close, right? And one thing off, it doesn't take much, right? Absolutely. A, a, death, a death of a family member here, a death of a family member there, or loss of a job, and they may have a home, but they can't maintain it. Yeah. You know, it it could be as simple as that, or they may have to take care of a loved one 
which makes them not be able to work as much. You never know. No, and it's easy to judge when you don't know. So I think I know when you give or you connect with people in that way, it does open up your assumptions and what's not only what's possible for us individually to give and contribute, but also what we actually know about the world gets challenged because you're faced with the fact like that is someone that could be you. you Absolutely. Absolutely. It brings a togetherness that you may not understand if you're in a different socioeconomic bracket or if you're in a different area or if you're really anywhere different. Everybody has a different story and it helps you relate to people who may not live the same way that you get to live. We hope you're enjoying today's episode brought to you by the Strategic Vision Mastery Quiz, a quiz designed to help you know how you're doing in the eight areas of strategic goal achievement. Just hop on over to sarahbox.com to access your free quiz, and in just five minutes, you'll have your results with links to valuable tools and resources to help you advance to your next level. It's all free, no strings attached, no kidding. And if you find the quiz helpful, please share it with others, friends, colleagues, co-workers, because when one of you succeed in life, all of us benefit. Now back to our interview. Do you bring your music when you do that? Do you ever perform or share your music when you're doing your ministry work? I, I do at camp. So we, uh, I was a, the music leader for quite a few years. And then as I became a site leader for one of the, like a home each week, I kind of passed it along to some of the, the up and coming musicians. And I still help them out with the praise music, but they lead it. And I just kind of join in and help them so that I can focus on other responsibilities while I'm there. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that as well, because again, when you talked about like in your adolescence with the terrible skin and the frizzy hair, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. I totally can. And humidity <sighs> is not your friend. It is not. No. Your no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do want to ask you, you, you really had a bad car wreck and then it was two people who really helped you get through that, right? Um, yes. Dave Isaacs and then also Liz Johnson. Can you talk a bit about what having those kinds of, I don't know if you'd call them coaches, teachers, mentors, or just deep, deep friends, but what did that mean I would for you? call them all three at this point. Um, I, Liz was absolutely a God find. I was referred to her by the Vanderbilt Voice Center when I had about eight months of laryngitis following the wreck. My body just was so tired of fighting. It just wasn't getting better. And so when I got like a little bit of a respiratory something, it turned into eight, nine months laryngitis. This is following a car wreck, which a girl ran a stop sign and I had nerve pain for about three years. So this was within that first year. I had that eight, nine months laryngitis, which is very scary as a singer when you don't know if you're ever going to get your voice back. <laughs> it's very scary when that's your livelihood and you don't know if you're going to have to completely change courses. But thankfully, Liz is an amazing teacher and she's very, very much aware of the mechanics of the voice, which as a sports medicine person, I loved. But she also has learned how to protect the voice, but be still be able to be acrobatic, if you will. 
have that vocal acrobatics kind of like she's a jazz singer so she was absolutely the perfect person for me to end up working with and then Dave Isaacs um, I had known him for a little bit but because of the nerve pain in my hands I was very concerned about making the nerve pain worse while, while playing and so I started going to him in order to correct my habits and improve my mechanisms on guitar and improve how I play and also to get better because that's definitely my weak point and they are both so good at teaching people the way the individual learns which is what I've done in the past with teaching people in, in the fitness world is you don't want to teach everybody the same because not everybody learns the same way. But Liz saved my life vocally and Dave continues to help me grow as a guitarist. And they are just two beautiful people who also care deeply about the people they work with, which says a lot. It's interesting to me that you are very complimentary about those who help lift you up, both when you're doing service as well as in your profession and your, you know, your band and the people you work with, which is refreshing. And it also seems to lead towards your own philosophy about the need to connect with the people you make music for. Um, why is that important to you? I got I don't think that anybody gets anywhere by themselves. I think that we all have to have help. And sometimes it's harder to find that community. There are a lot of people who will mentor you and they want, they subconsciously want to help you as long as you don't surpass them. But then there are also people who truly just care about others and want them to be the best that they can be no matter what. And I have, really throughout life tried to surround myself with those people and uh, aspire to be that kind of person as well. That's not a mentor for what it does for me, but a mentor for the person so they can be the best they can be. And it's definitely not necessarily a normal attitude, but I just feel like people giving back to each other, that's how you change the world. You can do it one person at a time just by being the person you want to encounter. I believe that as well, Amanda. I think you're, um, you are singing the No Labels, No Limits theme song. <laughs> Actually, yes. you should create a theme song. Yes. Um, but I think the one, I do want to ask you that when you, so how do you know the difference between those two, the folks who want to help and teach you because there's something in it for them versus those that do it because they just, that's who they are. That's how they show up. Is there like, do you have a, some kind of an inner radar about who's who or have you learned that over the years? I would say both. I, there are some people who I have very good intuition and I can immediately tell I'm going to keep my mouth shut and listen and see if this is somebody I want to interact with. But there are also people that have been mentors to me that truly helped me. But then at some point I recognize their inability to continue to help me subconsciously, I believe. I do not think it was consciously because it's almost as if they didn't want somebody to surpass, they didn't want the student to surpass the teacher. I think it's a, it's partially an instinct thing, but also partially a 
the longer you're around somebody, just being aware and knowing yourself and trusting your gut. That's really good wisdom. (laughs) So as we kind of wrap today, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. One, I want you to talk to people or help me share with people. Where is the best place for them to follow you, find your music, buy your album, but just get to know more about you and the work that you're doing? Well, amandapagecornet.com is my website, and it's Amanda Page with no I am Page. It's my great aunt's name. And everything's there are links there. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Spotify, I'm on Apple Music, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and I really do interact with my fan base. Uh, I'm the one that checks most of my social media still. And I love when I have people reach out. When I'm at a show, I love for people to come up and talk to me afterwards because it's really not about me. It's about connecting to those I'm around. Uh, I have started a Patreon campaign that's just getting started. And that's another way people can join kind of the fan club side of things. Tell people what that is, Amanda. Patreon is a kind of a mix between social funding, but also a subscription service, if 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 you will. Uh, you agree to pay monthly, even a dollar a month, for exclusive content from an artist, whether it's videos or behind the scenes pictures or whatever the person chooses, and it's a way to really be a part of the art and also support the people making the art, which is pretty cool. It is cool. It, it Just brought, learning it. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to learn that fr- from you as well. Well, I am definitely still learning. I've done a few social funding, crowdfunding campaigns, but they were just one-offs for a music video. And then for a, I helped do one for a documentary we did about Salkahatchee. And uh, so it's a little bit different and it's a little more detailed but it's exciting. It's a good way to be able to interact a little more deeply with true fans. Well, and the great thing about that concept is that it's one thing to look at someone through Instagram or Facebook, right? That's one way, but it also is still, there's that wall. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean a wall that you can't communicate because obviously you can, but it still isn't the same as where there's a smaller or an intentional connection. Let's put it that way. Um, because hopefully the people in Patreon are huge for you, so it'll still be big, but that it really is a two-way thing, like you're giving of your art, but people are contributing so that it feels more reciprocal and engaged. Absolutely, so they get to be a part of the process, and that's very important to me. Even when we were choosing songs for the album, we actually had a live video where we went through parts of the songs we were thinking about and asked people to tell us which ones they wanted to hear more of, which ones they wanted to hear on the album. And we were very intentional about that because ultimately if I put a song out because just I love it and the audience doesn't relate to it, then why would they ever listen to anything else? What a great question. (laughs) Who are you (laughs) making the album for? Right. Because you are making it for yourself, but you're also making it, well, it, it, from my perspective, I'm making it because music's helped me through life and I want other people to have the same experience. Right, because it's something you share, right? Right. It's a way for me to give back and help people know that they're not alone and that somebody relates. 
So as we wrap this interview up, will you share one or two key points that you think will help people who might want to follow a similar path to you, but who are nervous to start? You can always say, I'll do that next time, or I'll do that later. But until you actually jump in and take a leap of faith and try, you really will never know like what the limits are. And the more you step out on a leap of faith, it's crazy how the more opportunities present themselves. So if you're always a, oh, well, maybe I'll do that tomorrow person, you're probably going to stay right where you are. But I also think that one of my biggest pieces of advice for people wanting to be in music is a lot of people come in with an ego. They come in maybe being the best person from their hometown and they think I'm going to be the next big thing. I didn't come in with that attitude. I knew there was a lot to learn. And I think coming in to any artistic industry or any business really, and recognizing that there's a lot to learn to make you better is going to make you more efficient, a stronger person and a stronger creative or strongest business person. I think that a lot of people don't like to hear constructive criticism. They take it personally, but if you really listen to that advice, think about it and decide which advice is good for you, then you're probably going to come out on the better side. If you're listening to people who know the business, a lot of people like to dismiss constructive criticism that could really help them. So I try to not be too stubborn. I try to listen and I try to think of, okay, is this right for me? And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. I've had people get upset with me because I didn't go along with their advice, but I truly took the time to think about it and decide if it was right for me or not. And you were open to it. Yes. And that is huge. Being open to hearing different perspectives and especially of people who have been more experienced in the business. So it's big. It is big. And like you said, too big of an ego, you can't both fit through the door. Your ego or you. Someone's got to show up. Exactly. Exactly. So, Amanda, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I'm really excited and um, we'll be playing some cuts of your song. Like I said, we've already played some through the episode. But I'm, I want to encourage our listeners to go out. We'll have all of the um, links to what Amanda shared in terms of where to connect with her, where you can find her videos, her music. We'll have them in the show notes, so don't rush and worry about it. They'll be there. And then I just wish you the best of success. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you before and during the interview <laughs> as we navigated the, uh, the technical difficulties. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that we'd be having technical difficulties with a professional performing artist. (laughs) Well, you know, I always say, you know you're a professional when you have technical difficulties. (laughs) That's true. Or when you forget your lyrics on stage. That's how you know you're a professional, (laughs) because it happens to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, and you've got to be on stage in the first place for it to happen, right? That is is where the not waiting till tomorrow comes in, absolutely. Get up, show up, figure it out. And laugh. And really, if you're a professional, you'll just laugh at yourself about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so great. All sure right. I well, do. Thanks so much, Amanda. And um, Thank you. Well, that's it. 
for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard, and if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, no excuses life. Thank you.